with 24 hours a day. Organize your day. Work hard. I'm here to talk about success. Welcome to Electric Theory. Today, our special guest is none other than Victor Tarver. He is the Vice President of Sales and Technology Solutions of MSH Talent. Man, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on board um, on the show, man. Like a little quick background. We, we you know, we're looking to connect because I wanted to learn more about like your recruiting background and mm -hmm. history uh, with, you know, you being the VP of sales. And we had a chance to to play ping pong. We did. And we had a synergetic, synergistic, synergistic, there we go, uh, a conversation about not only diversity, uh, cognitive diversity and talent. So, I mean, I I did a little due diligence on MSH, and I saw something that I thought was really, really, you know, impactful, and I want to start there. Yeah. So, people are your purpose. Th that's absolutely it. You know, our company 12 years ago was founded by the guy who's the current CIO at ADT. Fun fact. He started the company years ago because he wanted to disrupt the industry, right? He felt that there was a natural disconnect in the way that companies source their talent, the processes in which they went about interviewing, candidates were turned off. There just was a natural disconnect there. With him being a, an IT person, he understood as well that this entire process is people-driven, right? We need mm -hmm. technology to kind of connect the dots for us, but we can't leave the people part out. So that's kind of at MSH why we go people first. Yes. No, I think that's that's great. Like when I seen that, I said, ah, makes sense. Based yeah. on our conversations, based on, you know, our shared values, it makes sense for you to, you know, be be heading this this organization um, here in Dallas, yeah, Texas. Absolutely. So when did you join uh, the organization? Just made my one year anniversary uh, a couple of days ago. Oh, actually. congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. It. What do you, you love most about it? Um, good question. So I came over from an organization that was much bigger. OK. I felt disconnected. Right. Mm. Um, I think. Everybody wants to be impactful. Everybody wants to bring something to the table, right. have their voice heard, their ideas heard, those kinds of things. Right. And so what attracted me to MSH was the ability to do those things, first and foremost. Secondly, the people first piece of it was big <laughs> yeah, for me. That's huge. I mean, huge. When I seen that. Yeah, huge. it's a big deal, right? You, you want to make sure that um, some companies get so nuanced in this whole thing that they forget about the people aspect of it, right? Um, and then you can't be in the talent business or people business if you don't put your people first, right? Just you know, kind of clashes, right? Facts. Um, and then the second piece is being a part of an organization that is committed to disrupting the status quo. Um, I'm kind of a rebel. I like to go against the grain. So the way that this company is organized is it wants to have great outcomes, but um, the way things used to be, we realized that there was an issue there. There was a challenge. So being committed, having resources, investing in all the things that are bringing those outcomes is, is what we're all about. No, yeah, I, I love that. I, I see that, you know, the company is leading edge services support and provide organizations with business intelligence, mm -hmm. right? So that's that that's that AI piece yeah. or technology piece. Cognitive piece. Yeah, that cognitive sure. piece, right? And I'm glad you just said cognitive because that's where I'm actually leaning into next. So, you know, you say you go against the grain. Yeah. I believe that is a trait of mine as well. Yeah. And, you know, a conversation that we were having was about cognitive diversity mm -hmm. and how it relates to diversity on an ethnic level. Mm -hmm. Could you share with us what you feel like the differences or what you've experienced the difference being? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think 
both sets of diversity have their their own impact, their own their own value. I'll start with the cognitive piece. Diversity of thought is is important for any organization that wants to grow, that wants to scale and remain relevant. The cognitive diversity is important, right? People from different walks of life have different experiences, um, and it's important to put that all in one place, right, and right. connect the dots. That's where you get the best ideas. That's where you get the best framework for things. Equally as important is gender diversity and ethnic diversity, mm-hmm. right? Most of the companies that we see at the top of their game right now in this day and age, right, not some of our older companies that got started years ago, but some of the newer ones that were kind of you know, born in this, in this era, right. um, they have the cognitive diversity piece uh, right. tied together with the other pieces of the puzzle. I don't think you can grow and sustain without the diversity of thought. You know, for those companies that have, you know, initiatives around both of those things are the ones that are going to scale and win at the, the highest rate and be able to sustain it. Yeah. 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 So, so organizations that solely focus on ethnic diversity, do you feel like there's an opportunity there? Yeah. I think that you're, you're limiting yourself. If right. you're, you're trying to check a box and say, I need yeah. to bring somebody on just to say we're, we're ethnically diverse here. Right. right. Um, I think it's important if you want to grow in this day and age, especially depending on your customer base and all those things, you can't leave out and, tie, and forget to tie in the rest of those pieces. So there's room to grow there if um, you're leaving out cognitive uh, diversity, for sure. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and that was something that, you, like I said, we, we agreed mm-hmm. on. I think we stopped. I, I, we picked up the ball we for a second. We, we didn't hit for like five, ten minutes. We didn't there. hit for five, ten minutes because I was yeah. like, hold on, this conversation is too good. Um, so I recently just did some, some you know, research into why teams win, right? Like this yeah. is professional teams, whether it was the Boston Celtics, you know, uh, with, with Larry Bird, with Michael Jordan, the Bulls, uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots. Yep. And, uh, you know, because I'm doing, working on this case study. And, you know, I, I was looking into the diversity on their team. Okay. And you can't have five of the same players on the court, speaking of NBA, at the same time, right? right? So why do you feel like organizations feel like they need to create these groups with the same types of people expecting for a result to help them win? You know, I think it's one of those things that when you look at as companies dove into this space, there was one way of doing it and everybody kind of followed suit, right? Right. And so I think that as companies develop and they grow and they figure out what processes need to take place for them to take the next steps, I think that, you know, they eventually expand some of those groups, but I think they all start with that one place, which is of representation. They want to have a group of people represented in one group and figure out from there, how do we need to expand? How does this thing add value? Right. Because on its face, it's just a group, right? right? There's gotta be the things that are the initiatives, the outcomes um, associated with it to really drive impact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For example, BENs, black employee uh, network or employee resource groups. These were started, I believe in the late 1960s, Mm -hmm. early 1970s. And they were actually started by a African-American, um, you know, at least that's to the research that I, I found. Sure. Right. And, you know, I, I find that very interesting because, you know, it was essentially to go advocate for for minorities sure. at the time. And when they're advocating for minorities, have you seen successful implementation through these particular groups when they're advocating? I've seen it for the companies that 
don't leave it just as a uh, as a window dressing, right? Mm-hmm. If if a company allows that uh, group to to really impact not only uh, community involvement but the internal um, hiring and decision making. Mm-hmm. Then it works. If it's there just as window dressing, as I said, just to kind of check a box, right. then it doesn't work. I think that for the companies that I've seen in my experience, those networks that really have an agenda to to include and to expand um, and kind of pulling in um, everybody from multiple groups, right. right? That's how you really win. And, f- and from what I've seen, the groups that stay kind of siloed there without right. pulling in everybody else, that's where the disconnect happens. Yeah. Yeah. So... What you're saying is, I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing this correctly, um, that groups that essentially are more inclusive to other potential groups, that's when they're they're more successful. And the ones who just kind of stay siloed within their own individual group uh, typically are disconnected. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's about representation. And, I, and, and that part is very important. Right. Um, but then there's a bigger agenda, right? If we're talking about diversity as a whole, yeah. diversity never includes one group. Right, because it, it goes against the word diversity. Right, right. so the groups, um, the resource groups, and BENs and those kinds of things, yeah, um, is very impactful when, um, as a whole, right, the ent- we're talking about the entire landscape that everybody's able to make progress that way versus one siloed group at a time. Right. Yeah. You you said the agenda, and I, you know, this could be off the record. This could be on the record, um, depending on you know what your your decision is on, on this take right here. All right. Speaking of agenda, right? So in this research that I found, and I want to pull up my notes, but I'm just go from my from the top of my mind. There was not only a lack of chemistry whenever you create these individual groups or having a team with with uh, 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 having a team with similar players. There was not only there's a lack of diversity. There was a lack of chemistry. But one of the the opportunities that I found very very interesting was that you become vulnerable to opponents because you're essentially exploiting your weaknesses and they understand your strengths at a higher level when you're in this particular group. Yeah. So if you can have your weaknesses exploited when you're just, let's say, you know, blacks for X, Y, and Z company, right. Or, you know, Latinx for X, Y, and Z company. When you are in that group, your weaknesses are exploited and just like if you were on the team, they'll be able to understand all of your weaknesses. They'll have the data. They'll have the the the, the know-how, the 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 insights on how to, to continue to exploit you. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, interesting, interesting point. I think that for the groups that decide that they're going to have a singular function of we just want to get together and have a place for us to, you know, whatever our group is, to just discuss what we're dealing with. I think – if that's just the, the sole purpose of the group, then you are exploiting and kind of shining a light on some of the things that, that you just mentioned, your weaknesses, right? Right. Um, I think if that same group, if the initiatives are beyond that, I've, so for an example, I've seen some groups where part of their function is that they want to create a safe space for people of that culture to come and talk about what's going on with them at that particular company, challenges, whatever adversities they're dealing with. But I've also seen that same group go out into the community and start to show little black and Latin kids, hey, you can have a career in tech, right? Mm. Here's how you do it, right? Mm -hmm. We have a resource that at least can kind of shed the light for you on some of these things, right? So, again, it depends on what else that group is doing, right? So I don't want to speak for all the groups that I've seen, but the ones that have 
initiatives passed. Let's just discuss our challenges here. Right. They're the ones that, that are kind of have a little bit more impact right. in my experience. Yeah. No, that, that was a great take. So what are some challenges companies face in promoting both types of diversity? And then like how can you know these challenges be overcame? So the, the biggest challenge that companies face, you know, they, they, it's almost self-inflicted, right? Yeah. What companies have to realize nowadays is this is a candidate's market, right? Um, years ago, that wasn't the case. Right. Um, so you kind of have to get out of your own way. And what I mean by that is your TA function, your talent acquisition function as a company has to improve, right? Yeah. If you're not willing to invest on um, the way you go about sourcing for talent, um, the process, right, how lengthy it is or how short it is, if right. you're not willing to be flexible on things like remote work, right. um, you know, your benefits packages. So there's a lot that goes into it, right. but it starts with the company's process, the way that they're going to engage with candidates or, excuse me, where they go to source for candidates as a start. Yeah. But then secondly, what is your process once you've identified that candidate? Right. Um, how are you going to move forward? Right. A lot of candidates nowadays, they have options, right? They got a lot of people knocking at their doors. Mm-hmm. I mean, companies are even sliding in people's DMs, right? It's, it's yeah. a lot going on. So <laughs> you got to be flexible, you know? So I think that's one of the major challenges is how do you attract the talent? What's your process like? And how do you engage with potential candidates? Um, that's the biggest barrier that, that companies are having. And so then they go outside a lot of times to companies like, like mine where uh, the goal is help us through this process, right? right. Help us ease um, the candidate's experience, um, while also kind of being efficient at the same time. So I think th- those are the major challenges that I see you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. Just, just talent as, as, a, as a whole. What? Yeah. How, how do we acquire it, uh, acquire the talent? Is our, is our company stacking up to the competition? Right. Um, that's the biggest thing we see. We work with candidates every day that have four and five offers at a time. Yeah. And so they're deciding between a lot of different factors. Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys decide on, uh, or not decide, how do you determine if, if a company's matching up to their competitors? Good question. So a part of our process, we go in and sit down and understand what their talent acquisition, uh, acquisition function is like. Right. Who's a part of it? Uh, have they been trained properly? Do they have the skills to do what they need to do? Mm-hmm. Um, we do that through a series of reporting, where, you know, kind of understanding a little bit about what you and I talked about earlier. Um, if your retention rates are down, uh, chances are there's something going on there that's that's broken within your system, right? Right. So we go in and we help them assess and figure out, hey, where are you going with your 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 practices, right? Yeah. Um, are they effective? Are you are you seeing the right type of candidate flow? Um, at what stage of the interview are you losing candidates? Is it offer stage? Is it right before that? Um, do you have too of a too lengthy of a process, right? So a lot of it is just reeducating, you know, customers and, and, and companies on uh, what their process looks like and how it stacks up. Yeah. No. And as a former talent recruiter, I can attest that that is one way to definitely identify the opportunity. You can do it pretty quickly, too. Like, that's that's the thing. It's like you can sit down and have that conversation, ask the right questions. And, you know, you'll sometimes just get a long pause. You're like, wow. uh, okay, well, there is a gap right there. Right. (laughs) And and we see it every day. I think the companies figure it out as they go, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, realize that. There's, there's gaps in, in talent all across the board, right? right. So the, the folks that are in talent acquisitions or recruiting for companies, they have ways to, to improve as well at their craft, right, just like the rest of it. So um, as, as you lose talent, as people decide to go and work at other places, sometimes you got to look internally as a company and say, hey, how can we be, be better at this process? Yeah. Yeah. What are ways companies can, so let's say, you know, they're, they're reaching out to, to you and they're like, hey, we need a candidate for X, Y, and Z. 
uh, you know, you provide, you know, you provide them these candidates. What are ways to, to, to companies can like help retain that talent that they just recruited essentially yeah. and acquired? Yeah. So the biggest way is on the front end, right? In understanding you got to do market research. Um, if you're in the financial services space, right, you got to take a look at if you're a company, you got to take a look at what your next four or five uh, competitors are doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you got to you got to get with the times I mentioned earlier. A lot of companies have been slow to make progress in terms of what their packages are, are right, what they're offering to mm -hmm. candidates, flexible work schedules and things like that. Um, a lot of candidates now, like we've got a lot of working moms out there that that want benefits as it relates to child care. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, a company's ability to be creative with how they retain their their employees. That's that's the biggest thing there. Right. Yeah. And like, how do they find out? Right. Like like. The problem I've I've seen in this space is a lot of them make assumptions, right? Like they just assume this is going to be for the masses and this will be mass adopted, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what, what advice do you give to those? And sometimes they find out the hard way, right? As right. people are, you know, handing in resignations and, and, and <laughs> you know, and the wheel is turning and, and they're out of there. So, I mean, more or less when you look at, again, candidates market, that's the biggest thing that companies have to understand that, um, you know, the days are long gone that, you know, people are going to right off the bat say, I'm going to invest 10, 15 years and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to retire from here. Right. You know, that's not this this age uh, yeah. of workers. Right. Um, so I think companies have to understand that and try to make whatever um, whatever is necessary for them to kind of retain those candidates from a um, work life balance perspective. That's the way to go. Mm -hmm. And it's different for every industry, right? Right. You know, if, if you look at folks in tech, you know, they want to be on the cutting edge of things, right? Their, their developers want to go, 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 right? And if a company's not investing in their own technology, most of those developers are going to leave right. and go to a company that is. Right. And they're so, like, I want to be innovative. Yeah, exactly. So do you ever think that the market will flip back to, to what you just described what happened 15, 20 years ago? I don't. Yeah. I don't. I think that when you look at what's available, and I think the biggest thing is, these studies have been released um, probably going back 10, 12 years now. These salary um, glass door and companies like that that provide you with um, what people in your exact experience level are making elsewhere, mm -hmm. right? Um, those things, so the knowledge component, right? We right. know more now than we ever did, right. so I don't think it'll ever flip back, right? The years that my parents were working, there, weren't, there wasn't data just floating out there about what, you know, XYZ person at the next company was making, yes. right? Um, we can hop online and, and essentially see everything from salary to bonus to, you know, benefits packages. Um, and that, you know, informed decision making is what companies have to guard against or you got to make some changes internally. Mm, yeah. And it's becoming more and more transparent. Yeah. I, you know, I believe that that's a requirement now. Like you have to list your the, the salary for the, the, oh, absolutely. the job. Right. Yeah. So like with with like you said, that information that they're able to, you know, quickly compare, essentially, right? We're living in kind of like this comparison age, right? Absolutely. Where it's like, oh, you know, Sally Lou down the street, she's, you know, working a similar job. And, you know, how, how like, why am I not being paid as much? Or why is she having, you know, the time of her life at this company? Right. Um, you know, and, and to your point, you, you mentioned Glassdoor. I do, I do want to bring up a, a stat from Glassdoor that, you know, references the culture. Cause I think that that's a huge component, okay. not only of what I do, but I think it's a huge component of what you do when you're placing talent. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there, there's a stat that says, I believe it's north of 80% of candidates 
will take a job that has better culture and not necessarily focus on on the pay right like what is your thoughts on that like what have you seen in the industry and in the market to that degree i think um that stat is is right on you know we work with candidates all day um at every level right uh, all the way up to the c-suite and culture is the number one thing consistently um if if candidates are com- comparing you know opportunities with similar pay um but one company, company B, has a much better culture. Um, you know, just like how employers look into candidates and they try to dig into the background, candidates look into employers and try to go through the blogs and see, mm-hmm. you know, like, if there, if there are any horror stories, right? And they try to gauge what a company's overall culture is like um, as a determining factor. So I would say that that percentage will only go up um, of candidates that are making that decision based on, on culture. It's important because you can't fake it end of the day right either a company has a culture or they don't or the right culture or they don't yeah for the companies that don't have a right culture what advice would you give um get with somebody who can help you figure it out right because in a a lot of ways we talk about cognitive diversity and and those kinds of things that's the importance of it right because if you bring in people who come from different experiences right um they can bring those ideas to the table or you get an opportunity to work with a firm that can help you implement those changes, but you can't rely on, I'll give you a great example. Uh, so MSH is 12 years old as a company. Um, most of the senior leadership for us were the number one, two and five hires in the company. So they've been there since it started. Right. right? And a part of the reason I was brought in and a few others from a leadership perspective is because we've worked at bigger companies before we see through different lenses. So it's not that, you know, there was not good thought, right? Right. It was diversity of thought. Right. That was important to help the company grow to the next steps. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. All right. So how can companies measure the impact of the diversity and inclusion initiatives and what metrics should they be tracking to ensure progress towards their goals? So that's an area where companies are kind of lacking at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of uh, DNI managers and supplier diversity managers, and a part of what they're doing at the moment is figuring out how to track it. Um, I think in the past it's been old school spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're, we're, we we've checked a couple of boxes in terms of gender diversity, ethnic diversity, and and so forth from a sourcing perspective, right? Um, and they either check the box or not if you know one of those candidates ended up getting that job. But that's about as far as it went. Um, nowadays, companies are wanting to get smarter about how they track that from the, vi- the inception of it, right? Which channels are we using to go out and source this diverse talent that we want? Um, so I think there's a major gap there in terms of how companies are tracking it. Um, but the advice there, the, you know, the go forward is there's got to be metrics, you know, to keep a company honest there. And then the second part of that, Josh, is that the candidates, right, the folks that are interviewing and, and are considering working there, when you when they know you have those kinds of things in place, mm-hmm. right, that's the type of culture we're talking about. When candidates are saying, you know what, this company cares about it because right, they right. have tools, they've invested in it, right. they're tracking it, they understand, right. and we see the outcomes. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. So, um, no, that was, that was, you know, I think that was, that was spot on. When it comes to uh, tracking these metrics, I, I, you know, we refer to, uh, and when I'm saying we, I'm re- referring to Bolt as engagement. We refer to those metrics as engagement. 
how important is for your employees to be engaged? Because I think it's like north of 80% of employees as well as another stat of what 80% of employees aren't engaged in the workplace, right? Like how important is it for your, your team members or employees to be engaged? When I tell you, you know, we have senior leadership meetings um, weekly, of course, uh, in MSH. And at the top of all those meetings is engagement, right? We want for, we know outcomes will, will flip-flop, right? Just depending on the market, depending on a lot of different factors. But we want the engagement and the activity to always be high, right? We'll give ourselves the best shot at being successful. And so it's extremely important for us. Um, from every level, um, it doesn't matter your role in the company, the engagement, the activity. We want to know that somebody's all in. Mm-hmm. Right? When I talk with my CEO, he's always asking, you know, are they all in, right? Mm-hmm. We, wanna, we want people to be engaged and feel like also that, you know, they're a part of this thing, right? right. I, I mentioned earlier when you, you asked why did you choose MSH, what about it, um, you know, stood out to you. A lot of it was how engaging senior leadership is with, the most junior uh, employee that we have. What? Right? Say that again? Yeah. Engagement, right? <laughs> yeah. Senior leadership all the way down to junior employees, right? Hello. You got to connect the dots. Exactly. Got to connect the dots. Yeah. And when you do that and have a diverse team, mm-hmm. not only ethnically, but cognitively, you're actually 120% more likely to hit financial goals. Ooh. 120 percent like that's a pretty large number right like and I I think that there's so much money being left on the table not only from a recruiting standpoint and trying to find talent but then actually retaining them right so I I just whoo it's a it's a lot it's a lot to unpack and I think that he said it is it's a lot to unpack and I think there's like a huge opportunity for for what you do um so when it comes to attracting top talent to your organization, mm-hmm. you know, and speaking not just to, to your organization specifically, but generally speaking, uh, what are strategies that have been most effective? Yep. The number one most effective is utilizing current employees network. Mm. A lot of times you think, well, let's go out and look at a bunch of new resumes and, and put a, uh, a job out there on LinkedIn or wherever and see what we get back. Um, studies show that's actually not the most effective way. Yeah. Um, what you do first is you look to the people that you've brought on, right? You've already vetted their character, their experience. People like that tend to have good people in the network, right? Right. And so what we do, uh, you know, as an organization is anytime we're, we're hiring for whatever the position may be, um, we go directly internal and say, hey, look, guys, here's what we're hiring for next. We would much rather take a referral candidate, somebody that can be vouched for, not just from an experience perspective, but who you are as a person, right? Right. Um, I've brought two people into my company at the senior leadership um, level uh, mm-hmm. in a year, right? Nice. And that happened because our CEO, you know, he brought me in, and so he valued, you know, my experience and and, and everything. And so, in turn, I want to bring the best candidates in as well. So I would say that's the number one way um, for companies to secure top talent is look internal, right, to to your your managers, your directors, your 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 folks that you trust. Figure out who's in their network. That's number one. Then number two would be you got to diversify which channels you're using to go and find this talent. Um, top talent, um, diverse talent, all of it starts at the sourcing level, right? Where are you going to collect these profiles from, right? right. Is it you're just using an agency or you have an internal TA team that's going out and just finding people who've responded online? So those kinds of things determine if you're getting top talent or not. 
Um, and, you know, sometimes you get 100 applicants for, for one position, right? And, you know, I know internal recruiters sometimes, they get tired of it, man. They're just <laughs> flipping paper after paper, and it's like, I don't know this one. I don't know. This one might work, right? right? So um, I think it's a broken system in a way mm-hmm. um, that uh, part of what we do at MSH is we try to disrupt that and, and kind of find different channels to help our partners. No, yeah, and I – I love that you said uh, recruiting internally, just like through team members or employees yeah. network. Um, I believe. Oh, here's another stat: you're two to three times more likely to stay in an organization if you're there with a friend. Absolutely, right? Like, yeah. so your friends, I, the ones that you know you've brought on your colleagues, I'm sure that they're gonna stay as long as you stay, right? Like, it's yep. just how that's how that works. So I don't know, like you know, to your point of being a broken system, I don't know, like what why there's such a gap there like even when it comes to diversity and inclusion training and they're like or not even training diversity uh, uh, inclusion uh, uh recruiting, recruiting they're like yeah. we need someone for this particular role and i'm like you have like a thousand yeah. people in your organization you have fifteen thousand people in your organization and you telling me you can't find yeah. diverse talent when you have them there like what 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 do you think that disconnect is like why are our leaders afraid to promote from within or, or source those networks josh i think a lot of it is is process i think what we found and we go in and we consult with companies and we figure out just walk us through your process right yeah. and we hear about it sometimes but we understand exactly to answer your question why there's such a breakdown yeah it's process right yeah. either people aren't qualified to uh to do what they're doing right either the ones that are sourcing the candidates, the ones that are first level interview, second level interview or panel interview, whatever it is, right? Yeah. There's a lot of companies haven't invested in what their processes need to be, or at least improving their processes. Right, right. And so I think that's where it starts. And then secondly, if you don't have a champion or someone internally who's driving what that change needs to be, yeah, it'll just sit, you know, as status quo and it <laughs> yeah. won't move. So that's the other piece of it. There's gotta be an internal champion and buy in right. Top down. Who? Telling you, uh, hey, y'all better be tapped in. Yeah. This is this is some really, really it's deep. Yeah, it's, it's deep. deep it's deep out here. Yeah. This is a, this is some great insight though from someone who's literally boots on the ground. Um, I think that there's a really big misconception with how leaders feel like their company is doing and how their culture feels, um, and and you know how their TA is doing versus the actual reality of, of what it's doing, right? Yeah. And, I mean, we've seen that in all types of spaces, including baking, right? Like, you feel like you're doing better. You yeah. buy against your own shares. Right. And right. now you're having to, you know, uh, uh, reconcile, essentially, sure. right? So what do you say to those leaders who don't really have boots on the ground and just, you know, like like I asked earlier, just making assumptions, like how, you know, if we're someone's listening right now, leaders listening right now, like how can we, you know, help, them walk the line to understand that like, okay, I got to put these processes in place. Like what advice are you going to give them to like their first step? Right. Cause like, that's a, like you said, it's deep. Right. Yeah. And that's like a overwhelming problem. What yeah, is someone's first step? Yeah. Your first step is you have to seek the, the expertise, right. Subject matter experts, mm-hmm. depending on what industry you're in, right. There's best practices for all of them. I get it. But from a, if you're C level and you don't get in the weeds as much, then you assume and you know what happens when you do that, right? And it's almost right. always the same case where, you know, until you see the stats, right. then you really realize, wow, we, we need some help in this area. And so before it gets to that point, 
you got to go in and get with the subject matter expert on that, right? And then the first step always is evaluate your own process, right? right. Before you try to go out and make, you know, wholesale changes, you got to understand where, where are we good? Where do we have some gaps? And then go out there and, and, and find their expertise. And then after you do, from a top down, that's why I mentioned top down, the mm -hmm. leaders have to go and make it a mandate across the board, right? right. Whatever that initiative is, if it's, you know, diversity hiring or whatever the case may be, you know, if the leaders and the champions internally aren't driving it and, and keeping it top of mind, then the adoption of that strategy, just it'll fail. So it's got to be, you know, taking a step back, you know, bringing in experts to understand the space, um, give you reporting on maybe where you're, you're kind of making some missteps there. And then three, you got to go all in with whatever that um, solution is for you to kind of make that improvement top down. It can't be starting in the middle. It can't be from mm -hmm. the bottom up because it will fail. Right. And then you find yourself back in that same place. So mm. that's my advice. Yeah, that was that was that was solid, solid advice uh, for those leaders who feel like this is. I don't want to use the word waste of time, but they feel like it is a distraction to meeting their financial goals. What what advice do you give? I, them? I laugh at that. I do. <laughs> yeah. I laugh at it, Josh, because daily man, I'm having conversations with leaders who yeah. they're they they have challenges, not only challenges with um, a new workforce, right, bringing in and attracting talent there's a skills gap within their current uh, work staff, mm. right? If you look at, you know, you're not reinvesting in the people that you do have, right? And so that's a big thing that candidates that are coming in, they're considering companies that want to reinvest in their people. Mm -hmm. If you don't have good partnerships in place where folks can go and get continuing education or, you know, gain new certifications or whatever they want need to do to kind of better or sharpen their skills, then, then you're losing, Right. So I think there's a combination of things, which is why I say, again, bring a subject matter expert in to kind of help guide you and walk you through the effective ways to go about whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And it's funny you say you laugh at them. I, I do, too, because yeah, I, it's funny. I'm like, dude, people is the number one currency. Yeah. It's like people are the number one asset. So like you're competing for assets out there. And like, meanwhile, you're leaving your people yeah. behind. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of years ago, I was at a conference and uh, one of the speakers said he, he opened up with it's a war on talent and he hit the desk and he was like emphatic and people thought he was kind of <laughs> joking. He was like, no, it's a war on talent out here. Yeah. He was like, it's, it's hard for companies to find the right people. It's hard for the candidates to decide who they want to go and work for because everybody's kind of trying to throw out there what they think the next best thing is right. uh, or that what candidates want to hear and then candidates get there and it's not that. And then they leave. Right. So then, like what we talked about, retention numbers are are way down, staggering. Yeah, because you you know you're talking a game, but you're not backing it up. Uh, again, it's all about process, and then implementing and adopting whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish uh, from a top down perspective. Yeah, I I think it, it definitely starts from the top. How do you get? Let's say you have a champion that's a, a leader, mm -hmm. right? And they're trying to convince their leadership team um, or exec team to buy in what what can what can they do or present to that leadership team in, in order to get some buy-in yep um, one effective way is workshops where prior to whatever that initiative is that outcome that you want again you bring in subject matter experts to help educate your team on why we're doing this number one right um, 
one of the biggest fails that, that companies and organizations have is when there's change that's coming, right? Change management is a real thing, right? There's yeah. organizational change management. There's IT change management. And leaders take for granted that the change will be just accepted, you know, without any real, <laughs> like, direction or yeah. plan, right? Or implementation, right? Yeah. So I think making sure that there's uh, their leaders and the folks that are going to be driving the change understand the why behind mm. it. You understand the why behind it, and then you equip them with the how, mm-hmm. right? How we're going to go about doing it. Some people have the, the bandwidth to do it internally or the resources. Others have to go out and say, hey, we need change management experts to come in and kind of help drive this uh, this change for us. It's mm. deep, man. That's deep. Hey, look. <laughs> I tell you, this was, this was going to be fire. I think that this is such and not only timely, but important. Yeah. Right. Because it's like it's it's humanizing. Mm-hmm. And in the day in a day and age where AI is essentially, you know, already going to market, it's essentially moving forward. Right. Yep. Like how important is human connection at the end of the day? Right. Like how, how important is it? Yeah, it's huge because what you just said. The gap keeps getting wider and wider. Right. right? With technology advancements, which is good. We want that. Right. right. We, we want right. to see that growth. But then we also kind of lose some of that connection, right, um, as people in, in everything that we do. And so it's important now to kind of put those fundamental pieces in place if you're an organization or an employer. If you want to grow, you, you'll need the combination of both, right? right. You can't do one with, w- without the other. But at the same time, you got to be smart about it, right? You can't, you know, completely neglect the thing that got you here, which is the people, right? Got to reinvest in that. Infrastructure is important, things like that. Um, so as we continue to grow with the ML and the AI and all those things, because mm-hmm. it's going to happen, right? We're, we're right. going to be fully automated on, you know, so many things before we know it yep. um, that we will start to kind of lose that people aspect of it. But for now, you know, we got to keep it going. Yep. Yep. Computing to zero. Whew. All right. So we we, we touched on uh, uh, human connection. Something else I, I want to touch on is that, you know, I, I do have a small, you know, economics background. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like from other experts in this field, they're they're predicting a recession, right? Yeah. What can we do differently from the recession that happened in twenty, you know, in, in two thousand and eight? What can we do differently this time with talent and people? Because I, I feel like in two thousand eight, when that happened, that was the opportunity to really put our best foot forward, and you know, take advantage of of you know understanding like okay now we understand how the market works mm-hmm. let's let's take advantage of understanding that these are our number one assets our people sure like right so what can companies not only prepare for in this particular climate but what can they do differently going forward i think you just said the, the most important part of it is learning from what happened in 2008 right and i remember that i remember you know companies completely shutting down um in terms of um budgets in terms of hiring initiatives, projects. Um, and I get it. You, you got to guard against that. But I think one thing we've learned since then is if you want to continue to uh, stay afloat and, and put your company in the best possible place as the recession winds down, um, you got to use that time wisely, right? Mm-hmm. Some companies, they lay off. Some companies um, use that time to start doing additional training and making sure their people are sharper. The second one, that's my recommendation, mm-hmm. right? You reinvest in your people during those times. Mm-hmm. We always talk about, you know, regardless of the market conditions, you got to find a way to show 
uh, production and be engaged, mm-hmm. right? Your products may be sitting on the shelf for time being because th- that's just the market we're in. But take that opportunity to develop your people further, mm-hmm. right? That's what we do internally is, you know, as things change or slow down, we step back and say, okay, we have maybe a, a window here to go and polish up on some things internally. Let's reinvest internally in our people so that by the time we get out of this thing, now we're really hitting the ground running. There's no gaps or delays, right? Because that's the other thing you got to guard against is as the recession ends, how long does it take you to get jump started after that, mm-hmm. right? You know, did you did you sit so still that there's no plans in place? You know, your people are figuring out if they have a job still. So communication, reinvesting your people during this time, and you, you'll come out the, the other side of it much better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the best companies came out of, yeah. of you know, that, that climate back in, in 2008. Yeah. Like some of the most innovative companies came from that. Absolutely. And I believe is to, you know, one of the reasons was because of like what you said, they were investing in their people um, and understanding how to be agile in that particular 100%. environment. Yep. Yeah, man, this has been quite the informative I appreciate you uh, for uh, me, podcast. I, I appreciate you coming out here. I definitely want to keep the conversation going. Let's do it. This will definitely not be the last time that you're on here because I know that this is going to be something that's requested more yeah, of. Volume two, coming <laughs> volume two, exactly. Yeah. This is something that is well needed. And if you are in need of talent, hit my guy up. I'll let me. How, where, how can they reach you, by the way? Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn. It's the easiest way. That way you can take a look at what MSH is and what we're yep. about. Yep. Um, so you can find me there on LinkedIn. Uh, easiest way, you know, and hit me up from there. Yes, sir. Man, still using LinkedIn. Oh, one last question. What's your thoughts on LinkedIn? There's the, the positives to it. I think that it's gotten so saturated now with certain content, right? If you're looking at the post, right? You start seeing stuff that belongs on other platforms. And I don't like that part of it. I think that it's gotten to the point now where it's gone from being a business platform to people just, you know, if you want to post a picture of your dog, then go ahead and do it. Like, so <laughs> I don't enjoy scrolling past those types. No, I love dogs before everybody jumps on me. I love <laughs> dogs, but I don't want to see, you know, on LinkedIn, you know, those kinds of things, right? I want it to be about business and what's going on in the marketplace. So. Yeah, well, I appreciate your take and appreciate you again for for jumping on uh, Electric Theory, where we get to hear from cognitive diverse we go. Uh, individuals um, in an authentic way, um, which I think that that you delivered it pretty well. Um, and I hope that you know the audience that is listening take from this and and start taking action because absolutely. that's what's needed right now in today's climate. Well said. Yes, well sir. Said. Appreciate you. you, brother. Yeah, absolutely. It was another good day. We had another good day. And if you line up enough good days, fuck around, have a good life.